There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Nate, when we were kids, there were a handful of Disney classics that sort of mm. define childhood, right? Oh, yeah. We talked about one recently, Aladdin. Yeah, and it went over really well. And little did we know that a mere quarter century later, Disney would be remaking these classics with some of the biggest names in music right now, including Beyonce and Childish Gambino. Disney movies spring eternal, it seems. Well, for the latest turn of Disney's remakes, we have the live animated version of The Lion King. And we're not going to talk about the film today because we're a music podcast. We're going to talk about the music. For the film, Beyonce created a compilation album called The Gift, which she produced and curated. And it's kind of like Black Panther and Kendrick Lamar, you know, that album. Oh, yeah, yeah, love that record. Well, this one similarly has a lot of guest appearances. We've got Jay-Z, Kendrick's on it, Pharrell, Childish Gambino, T.R. Wack, and St. John. It also highlights many African stars whom American audiences are only beginning to familiarize with. People like Mr. Easy, Burner Boy, Wizkid, Moonchild, Sanali, Yemi Alade, Techno. There's a lot of them on there. It's great. Cool, yeah, I don't know any of these artists, <laughs> and I can't wait to hear them. So today, I want to understand how this album, The Gift, brings together sounds across continents and to listen closely to specifically better understand the diversity of music encompassed in the term Afropop. Right on. Let's get into it. So to kick things off, one of the songs that I think best exemplifies The Gift is Mood Forever. This is Beyonce, who plays Nala in the film Lion King, featuring Jay-Z, Childish Gambino, who plays Simba, and Umu Sangare, who is a Grammy award-winning singer from Mali. It's produced by Jess Blaze and DJ Khaled. All right. Got my cup up to the heavens. Another night I won't remember. I promise this my mood forever. I promise this my mood forever, ever. What do you think? Yeah, I am feeling this. This is like, whew, this just starts and it is it carries you away on groove and attitude and sound. Yeah, this is my mood forever. <laughs> like so many tracks on this album. There are some really great hits. What stands out here for me is the intentional blurring of African and African-American influences from the sample to the sounds to the lyrics. So I want to break down each of those. Mm. So... The song begins with a sample of Umo Sangare and her song Diarabe Nene. Let's listen to the original. Let's listen again to how that sample is used in Mood Forever. 
Yeah, obviously here an intentional reference to the music of West Africa to ground the track. How do you feel about the translation of it onto the Beyonce version? I feel like it's pretty seamless. I, I hear it now, having separated out the sample from the Beyonce track, that it really kind of propels this whole song along while the production adds like a little more funk and a little more heaviness and a little more certainly of that like you know modern 21st century hip-hop sound i'm hearing though a lot of those elements translated from the sample really live well in the piece you know for example they update the bass sound it has that sort of like really deep sine wave syncopated bass line in the original it's maybe a, a deeper electric bass. I think it's like a, actually a played electric bass, but it has a really sort of similar weight to it. We also can hear acoustic shakers and chimes added into hmm. the Beyonce version, but I think it's trying to signal, hey, we're trying to blend multiple cultures into this track. You know, it strikes me that this track is a really interesting example of how you can take material that you would not find on the pop charts and just with a little bit of dressing and caressing become something that is so... Uh, totally relevant. It's a very clever production. I think one of the biggest things is that it keeps the sort of intense syncopation and like this avoidance of the downbeat. So it's really funky and it encourages like all these all this dancing, but it doesn't. It's also a little disorienting in a way. <laughs> so there is something unfamiliar here, even though a lot of the textures are familiar too. Yeah, I love how it is blurring those different boundaries of, of cultures. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and she continues this trend with what's happening in the lyrics. If we move beyond the sample and we start to look at what Beyonce has to say. I am Beyonce, Giselle knows Kata. I am the Nala, sister Naruba, Oshun Quinchiba. I am the mother, honk on my gold chain. I saw my whole chain. I be like so full. I am a whole mood. Isn't that great? <laughs> she is comparing herself to African goddesses and iconography, the Yoruba goddess Osun and the queen of Sheba. She has an Egyptian Anka on her gold chain. Uh, and then she just, you know, pulls right in that she's American soul food. She, mm. in other verses, she pulls in other great American references. She talks about trap bounce and broken levees in Louisiana. Mm. I'm like a trap bounce, a trap bounce, yeah. Cause every day above ground is a blessing. I done leveled up now, few panoramic. None of my fears can't go where I'm headed. Had to cut them loose, now I'm loose, break the levee, yeah. I'm about to flood on them. Man, there, there are few artists who could get to the point in their career where they could reel off lines like, um, I am Beyonce, Giselle Knowles Carter, <laughs> I am the Nala, Sister Naruba, like, and then move to commentary on Katrina. Like, this is a flex in itself just to be like, look at, look at me drop these lyrics and it works. Perhaps the other person who could do so would be her partner, Jay-Z, who similarly makes some really 
poignant analogies between uh, African culture and his own modern prowess. Forever and ever, ever and never ever at the Saxon Madiba suite like Mandela bumping fella on the Puma jet like we from Lagos, Mansa Musa reincarnated. We on our levels, that's a Billy. You catch that? We've got Mandela, Felo Kuti, Mansa Musa, who was the ruler of the Malian Empire and considered one ah. of the richest men in the world in the 14th century, <laughs> and he's comparing himself to all of these figures. Again, few could get away with it. These two may be the only ones, honestly. And like Beyonce, he merges that with some of the major Western stars of today. I'll be feeling like Prince in 84, Mike in 79, Biggie in 97, 94, Nas, Ali, Kumbaya, no Kumbaya, just give me the Somalia, I'm on Latage, helmet. We got Prince, Michael, Biggie, Nas. And did you catch that at the end? This is my favorite line from the entire song. Ali Bombaye, no Kumbaya, just give me the Somalia, I'm on Latash. No one has okay. ever made those rhymes before. What does Al Ali Bombaye mean? It means Ali kill him, and here he's actually referring to the famous rumble in the jungle. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I do know about that because of the excellent documentary, When We Were Kings, which is totally worth checking out. Yeah, so this is Muhammad Ali boxes George Foreman in what is then called Zaire in one of the most watched boxing matches of all time. So he's saying, Ali, kill him. No kumbaya. Wow. And then, and then pulls in getting the sommelier. I'm on Latash. Latash is one of the most expensive wines in the world. So he's just gotcha. like, like Beyonce, blurring the boundaries between iconography and, and important characters from Africa and America. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Thank you for that exegesis. I, a lot of that actually went over my head. So now I'm even more appreciative of his uh, international time-hopping braggadocio. <laughs> So this is exactly what Beyonce is going for. In an interview with ABC News, she said that this is, yeah, exactly her intent. This soundtrack is a love letter to Africa, and I wanted to make sure we found the best talent from Africa and not just, you know, use some of the sounds and did my interpretation of it. I wanted it to be authentic. The drums, the chants, all of these incredible new sounds mixed with some of the producers from America, we've kind of created our own genre. What stuck out to me about Beyonce's interview was this idea that they were creating this new genre. You know, Nate, I used to work in East Africa where The Lion King takes place. And I had felt like I'd heard a lot of sort of similar sounds from producer friends of mine. And so I wanted to dig deeper into this. In researching this piece, I stumbled upon some really thoughtful criticism by Evie Ani, the music editor at OK Player. Hmm. She argues that what Beyonce was unknowingly referring to, the fusion of Afrobeat, R&B, hip hop, pop, reggae, dancehall, and house, is an already existing genre. It's Afropop, and there is a growing appetite for it in the American mainstream market. And that while Beyonce is certainly well-intentioned in making this album, and there is some really great music on it, it also has, on one hand, aroused a certain patriotism amongst Nigerian producers and artists who are well-represented on the album, 
while those in Kenya and other East African countries have felt left out, according to reporting by The Atlantic. Hmm. And I, I realized that our sort of high-level textual analysis of Beyonce's biggest track on the album was missing some essential context about genre, history, and representation. So I thought we'd get EVA on the line to help us better understand the sound of Afropop. Right on. That, when we return. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. EVA, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So for a lot of music fans, perhaps even folks who are already listening to Afropop, the album The Gift might just feel like a really exciting milestone, similar to how the Black Panther soundtrack might have felt musically diverse, bringing in new genres and lyrical themes into the broader pop consciousness, as well as elevating lesser and unknown artists. But you frame this album differently. Your piece is titled, Diversity is in the Details. What Beyonce's The Lion King's The Gift gets right and wrong. What prompted you to write this piece in this framework? Obviously, the newest Lion King movie just came out. This soundtrack in tandem with the movie means that it's a really big cultural moment. What's happening with modern African music in tandem with The Lion King and the soundtrack means that this is even a bigger cultural moment. And Afropop is being covered by mainstream outlets more and more. But it's the, the coverage isn't always sound. There's a lot of things that need to be translated, culturally translated. Mm-hmm. I just felt like there were a lot of elements missing that needed to be explained from a kind of ABC framework Mm. because the coverage essentially was like jumping the gun and missing a lot of the nuances that are important to understanding why this is a really, really singular moment for African music. So let's get into the meat of the argument. You call the album well-intentioned and well-executed, but there's this big and really important implied but in the piece. Mm -hmm. What's going right here and what's going wrong to use the language from your title? Well, I remember Beyonce did the interview with Good Morning America, which is a big deal in itself because she hasn't done interviews in years. And in the interview, she says that with this album, they created a new genre. That in itself, that's completely false. Hmm. A lot of good comes from the amplification of these artists and these genres on this album. But this is what I mean by the ABC aspect of the coverage is missing because had it been common knowledge that this wasn't a new genre, then there would not have been a but in my argument. Had it been common knowledge (laughs) of what Afrobeats with an S slash Afropop, Afrofusion, Afrowave is, then she probably wouldn't have said that. And the argument probably would not have been made. The second part of that argument probably would have still um, stood, which is that it wasn't representative of East African sounds. So there's a layered argument being made with my article. I want to go deeper into these ABCs a little bit, because 
one thing we both loved about reading your piece was getting introduced to some of the many uh, styles and, and genres that are occurring uh, across the, the continent right now. So we were hoping we could like break some of these terms down with you. And to start, maybe you just emphasized Afrobeats with an S. Yes. So maybe we could start by differentiating Afrobeat in the singular versus Afrobeats plural. Yes. So Afrobeat in the singular was helmed by Fela Kuti, probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous African artist of all time. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, he's a Nigerian musician, singer, songwriter. He took a heavily political stance with his music and his art. He's revered by literally every Nigerian artist who we see that is prominent today, including many on this Beyonce album. So he helmed Afrobeat, which is a fusion of traditional African sounds like uh, Ghanaian High Life, uh, Fuji Juju, also a fusion of American jazz, funk, soul, and that is the sound that we saw rise in the 70s, 60s, 70s. That is kind of the staple Nigerian sound that gets referenced a lot is Afrobeat, primarily because of Fela's influence. Right. And Afrobeats, plural with an S, is, it's a complicated term, but it's normally considered the modern iteration of Afrobeat, but it's really a fusion of Afrobeat, hip-hop, pop, R&B, reggae, dancehall. It's a fusion. The term is not really controversial, but some people like it, some people don't like it. The term is often misused as an umbrella term for every single genre coming out of the continent. And there are completely separate genres coming out of each country right now. In the Western world, Afrobeats is just used to sum up every African artist, every African sound that's being heard here. Normally, when people refer to Afrobeats, they are likely referring to Afropop, which is the genre that this album would classify as, which is a genre that pre-existed before this album. Gotcha. Okay, so we've got Afrobeat, Fela Kuti, kind of an, maybe an earlier style Afrobeats, the modern iteration of that, which in turn sort of segues into the world of Afropop. Is there one of these styles that receives the most attention on the album, The Gift? Well, I think it would be interesting to know what type of sound they were looking for first mm. and what type of sound that they got. Yeah. When I interviewed some of the key players in the making of the album, I interviewed one person, um, Bankoli, who's a Nigerian A&R and music consultant. He worked on Kanye West and Jay-Z's album, Watch the Throne. Mm. And he's well known in the uh, Nigerian music industry because of his efforts in trying to do what is happening now in terms of bridging that gap between the American music industry and the African music industry. So he's responsible for introducing Dubanj, who is a popular Nigerian singer and like a pioneer of Afrobeats, Afropop. He introduced Dubanj to Kanye West 10 years ago. Mm. So this movement, this wave that we're seeing now, it was in the making for over a decade. So hmm. Bankali said that, 
you know, the the A&Rs and the people who worked on this album were looking for a specific sound. I would like to know what that sound was, but I I guess they accomplished it. And I guess that sound would be Afropop because that is what the album would be classified as. So this album features many stars and up and coming artists from Africa. Is there an artist here that stands out to you in their feature? The standout track, I would say, would be Burna Boy's feature. His song Jare is the only solo feature on the album. And that is a big deal. Who is Burna Boy? Burna Boy is a Nigerian Afrofusion star who's sort of risen to become the face of Afrofusion, Afropop, Afrobeats, as many would call it. And he is the closest to kind of succeeding in a crossover to the American mainstream. But what's singular about his artistry and his presence in the industry right now is his non-wavering commitment to his sound, which leans more African than American. And he doesn't compromise his sound to cross over. And that's probably why he's the most popular in this moment. His track, I would say, is the standout sonically as well because it sounds the closest to my ear. It sounds the closest to Afrobeat singular. Mm. Hmm. It really has that kind of folky African music feel, but it still feels very fresh because it's Burner Boy. So you say Burner Boy, he's an Afro pop star, but in his sound, you're hearing parts of Afro beat. How would you describe the sound? Well, he is an Afrofusion artist. That's the term that he prefers, Afrofusion. He used to often get packaged as a dancehall artist or just a reggae mm. artist, but he really is an Afrofusion artist because you hear those traditional elements in his sound. Also, mm. he has a tendency to switch languages and dialects. He speaks in Yoruba a lot. He speaks in Nigerian Pidgin a lot. This song on the Beyonce album title, uh, Jare, is a common Yoruba slang word, and it just means like, it means like, wisen up, watch out. Burner Boy is being prepped in prime to be a global superstar because he has the appeal and he fuses so many different genres, hip-hop, Afrobeat, dancehall, reggae, pop, and it is translatable to so many different demos. He just put out his fourth studio album, African Giant, and it's being really, really well-received. His album last year called Outside also did really well. And these are two projects that have made a lot of waves in terms of crossing over and the artists that he's collabed with on these albums. So he's been having a really, really good run the past two, three years. That's so cool. I think you can hear the the references to Fela Kuti. You know, if we put this song side by side with a, a Fela track like Water, No Get Enemy, maybe. Mm-hmm. We even get a saxophone uh, in there. 
just like Vela. Watch your back and just do what you're supposed to. Take care of family and people you're close to. At the same time, there are musical elements here that maybe, you know, connect Burnaboy's sound to a U.S. pop chart. And it's part of the reason he could, like, coexist on this on this album uh, with, with Beyonce and company. It's like, especially the, the rhythm here, the dembo rhythm, boom, chip, boom, chip, boom, chip, boom, chip, boom, chip, boom, chip. That's like, you know, something that's filtered into the, the, the pop charts from a lot of different sources, from Caribbean music, um, from reggaeton, but, like, He's using that beat and connecting back. So it seems like this interesting blend of old mm-hmm. and new. And it's so important that you mentioned that demo rhythm because we do hear that in the pop charts and we heard it in the song that went number one. I can't believe I'm blinking on it. Justin Bieber put out a remix to a really popular Spanish song and I cannot believe I'm forgetting the name of it. Oh, Despacito. Despacito, yes. <laughs> Happens to all and, of us. Yeah. <laughs> Despacito was huge because of that dembo rhythm. And funny enough, it was huge in West Africa because of that rhythm and how it's innately African. Yeah, so that sound translates across the diaspora. Yeah. And Burna Boy employing it on this. And we heard it in, uh, you know, a billboard number one. Now it's becoming a familiar sound to everyone. And that's probably one of the elements as to why this track resonates with people as well off the album. Because this is this album is almost 30 tracks long, yet this is the song that people are being drawn to. There's many songs on there that people are being drawn to, but this is a standout song for those reasons and because he's the only person on it beyonce is not even on it and it's her album absolutely curating this album and putting his track out there as a solo feature is certainly bringing attention that would otherwise uh you know have to come through other channels and mm-hmm. there's there's sort of no better uh kingmakers than uh the Knowles and carters right mm-hmm. you point out on in your piece that you know, we have great folks like Burna Boy on this album, but the, the album favors primarily West African and South African artists. What's missing from this album? So what's missing is East African artists, specifically Kenyan artists, because of the idea that The Lion King is most likely set in Kenya or maybe Tanzania. But it's been documented that with the original Lion King, the production team and the people involved mm-hmm. did study in Kenya to make the movie. Every single Hakuna Matata Swahili, it's common in Kenya. Right. So it's inferred that the movie must take place in East Africa, specifically in Kenya. So the lack of East African artists on the album is glaring because of that. Do you think that they've been left out because American audiences are just more familiar with West African music? Well, I don't think the American audience has a clear familiarity with West African music yet. They have more of a sense of familiarity with West African sounds than with East African sounds Mm. because of the collaborations we've been seeing in the past five years. So it's not entirely clear cut. A lot of these artists on the album who happen to be Nigerian are huge. They're superstars in Africa, in the UK. But in America... 
if you walk down the street and ask someone who WizKid is, ask someone who Mr. Easy is, they still might not know. Hmm. I don't think the American audience can still define these genres and name these sounds. But it would be easier to say that these sounds are more familiar than East African sounds because the music industry in Nigeria has pushed out more stars than East Africa. Like one of the artists I interviewed in my piece, who's not on the album, but is a Kenyan artist who's performed all over the world. He brings up a really, really interesting point about that internal rift between African music industries in that bigger countries and more populous countries and more popular countries like Nigeria and Ghana get more attention in the Western world from America and the UK, and they get more attention on the continent because smaller industries in smaller countries like Kenya aren't producing that amount of attention and talent. So he makes the distinction that being in Kenya, you know what's going on in Nigeria, Hmm. you know what's going on in Ghana, you know what's going on in South Africa, you know what's going on in America, but it's not the other way around because it's just a smaller industry. Yeah, you're talking about Blinky Bill, who's a friend of the show. He's been on a couple of times. And actually, Blinky and I worked on a track together called Party Nation. And what you said was exactly spot on. It was a feature with, uh, I think, five different artists from Kenya. And the exciting moment was when it went on the radio in Nigeria, because that it really does drive so much of the market and exposure. Mm-hmm. So I remember getting a text from him about Party Nation that, oh, my gosh, it's in Nigeria now, which was mm-hmm. a which was a big moment. And he mentioned that in our interview. He mentioned the fact that had Beyonce or whomever helped curate this album put at least one Kenyan artist on this album, it would have been a catalyst in their music industry. It would have propelled that side of the continent in a capacity that they've never Mm. seen before. So the fact that it didn't happen, I guess, felt like a huge hit to their fans, to their artists, to their consumers. But on the West African end and South Africa, this album is further propelling what's already been primed to Mm. integrate into the American mainstream. One of the things I thought we could do for listeners is I actually I reached out to Blinky Bill to ask about uh, some great East African artists that uh, we ought to be exposed to. And so we put together a playlist that we'll share includes artists like Fina Kitu, Karen Scales, Kato Change, and, and many more. Evie, if you have recommendations of artists that you're listening to, we'd, we'd love to add to that that we can share with our listeners. Oh, Blinky Bill. That's who I'm listening to. <laughs> I really, Blinky is right like on. the premier. I had no no bias attached, but Blinky is probably my favorite artist out of East Africa right now. So I love Victoria Kamani. She's a singer. She's Kenyan-based, also Southy Soul. I just felt like they needed honorable mentions yes. yeah. <laughs> in this. For sure. If we're talking about highlighting East African artists. Um, and Kaya Free as well. Right on, yeah. 
now that we've kind of thought about the different uh, styles of, of African music and the different roles they play in this global music ecosystem, we can maybe return to the central question that you're, you're dealing with in your article. What were the creators of The Gift, The Lion King, you know, accompanying album, trying to do with this album, and, and were they successful? Bankali, the Nigerian A&R that I spoke with, Bankali mentioned that the goal was to introduce Beyonce's audience to the African sound. Mm. The only issue is the African sound is not monolithic. I guess any African sound would have worked so long as it reached Beyonce's audience, which is the world. Yeah. So I was told that the goal was to reach her audience. Uh, and I think that was, an, uh, was a successful attempt. The album debuted at number two on Billboard. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it worked. In some ways, her, her goal of bringing this music to uh, more people seems successful, as you said. But I think, I think you raised the important question, you know, what, what, how is she representing this music and what nuance can we introduce to that discussion? I do want to talk about that concern that Blinky Bill mentioned in our interview about what mm. happens after all of this. Now that the album mm. is out, now that these voices and these artists have been amplified, where do we go from here so that we don't see the same mistakes and transgressions that are usually made whenever international music and international cultural productions make it to the American mainstream? Mm. I guess what he's speaking to is having a better sense of direction and a better understanding of how we perceive culture how we engage with culture, and how these different music industries across the world function and what can be done to protect artists and to protect the art. Mm. It makes me think that we as listeners have responsibility as well. In an era where we have great access to music from across the world by just streaming anywhere you stream your music, it means that we are able to dig deeper. And I think we, as listeners, should take some responsibility to go beyond just the things which are maybe handed to us, either in a compilation or an algorithm, and go and find these sort of things. And so I'm really glad that you were inclined to share some of your favorite songs. And I think that we will continue to do so to highlight artists that otherwise might not make public recognition on a giant album like this. Mm -hmm. Beyonce mm -hmm. has opened the door for newer audiences to be introduced to these African artists and African sounds. But the concern lies in if we're headed in the right direction now that that door is open. So mm -hmm. there's a responsibility on the end of everyone, essentially consumers, artists, tastemakers, curators, A&Rs, labels. There's a responsibility to kind of get this right for culture's sake and art's sake because I think the main goal is to have this music and these genres survive and have lasting impact because they're directly tied to the histories of these countries. It's not just music, as you know, it may sound cliche, but it really is not just music. So I think artists want their work to be protected. I think consumers want art that is refreshing and engaging and once everyone is more familiar 
with what's happening on the continent, the art will be in safer hands because it's not in control of one group of people at this point. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing opportunity to be able to talk about this and dig a little bit deeper into all these patterns and to talk about this music that needs to be amplified. So I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, thank you, VA. We really enjoy your writing and are going to keep uh, staying tuned into it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This episode of Switched on Pop was produced by our production fellow, Megan Lubin, and me, Charlie Harding. We're mixed and edited by Brandon McFarland. Our producer is Bridget Armstrong, and our executive producers are Nishat Kurwa and Liz Nelson. We're a production of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I want to say a big thanks to EVA Ani for coming on the show, and we will share her piece from OK Player in our show notes. Check it out. We're also going to share that great playlist by Blinky Bill and add some of EVA's recommendations. You can find more episodes of our show at switchedonpop.com or Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get podcasts, you'll find us. And you'll want to because next week we'll be back with another fresh episode for y'all. And until then, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Socks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.